ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, TerraMaster, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. TPR Stabilizer, a leader in steering dampener technology, brings you the new Q5 Sport ATV damper with better control and handling with an upgraded vane and seal system. Go check it out today, www.gprstabilizers.com or call 619-661-0101. Don't forget to tell them ATV Talk Sandy. Well, we have Jeffrey Restrelli with us. Uh, it's been a little while. We've been trying to get this going. Uh, there was a miscommunication, a missed message, and then I missed a message. And But we finally got you here. Welcome, Jeffrey. I really appreciate it, Leonard. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, sorry for mis- miscommunication. And obviously, uh, yeah, I missed the message on my social media platform. And um, I wish I didn't because I'd like to be on here sooner. I was actually kind of wondering, I was like, you know, all my competitors been on there. I'm like, I'm scratching him. Like, I want to, I want to be on there too. So um, like I said, just miscommunication. I'm glad to be on here. And uh, yeah, it's a pleasure being here. That's awesome. I will. I appreciate it. I've been looking forward to it for a while thinking, wow, you know, he's got, he's got to come on soon. You know, I mean, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, we're here. We're here and we can uh, hopefully have a good episode for us and, um, you know, talk, talk some detail and talk some racing. That's the best. I like bench racing just uh, almost just as much as I like to actually race. And I love talking it. I love living it. I love everything about it. So I'm here with you. Hey, I do want to ask really quick before we get into the meat of what we want to of what I want to talk about is uh, how'd the year go for you? Um, it was a really good rebound year for me. Um, like the competition was really stiff in that third through eighth spot. Um, but we uh, we found ourselves uh, in in the front of that pack more than we did in the back. And we were the most consistent out of those few, except uh, the last couple races. I had a few mishaps with, um, you know, having a flat a flat front tire or some crazy thing with uh, a rock hitting my wheel and puncturing the tire. Um, you know, just crazy things like that. And then I had a, um, a motor, um, like some happened with my motor at red bud, um, just some weird things that we didn't have all year. And then right at the end when it meant, meant, meant the most that, uh, we had a, a few, you know, obviously mishaps, but, uh, for all in all compared to 2020, I mean, it couldn't even compare. I mean, the, the, the switch to the Yamaha was a good switch for me and the Phoenix racing crew. And it was a tough year by learning that bike and trying to move forward. But it was also, uh, like I said, a really good year for us and just missed that third in the championship by a really, really small margin. And, uh, 
I think if we wouldn't have had one of those DNFs or even that that one tire, you know, mishap, um, we'd have, we'd have got that third spot. So um, for me, it was it was successful. But um, you know, of course, you always want more. Um, you know, when when I you know in 2016, 2017, I was battling for the lead, and um, in 2016, I finished third in the championship. So once you do it once, you always feel like you got to either be there again or uh, or step it up. So, but uh, yeah, overall, great year for me and the team, I think it was really good. Let, let, let's go back a little bit and, and talk Honda Yamaha. You were a Honda guy for a number of years. Uh, you were accustomed to that machine. Um, do you really, do you really feel it's the Yamaha is the much better platform or is the Yamaha is available and that's what's the, what, what makes it a better platform? So in all honesty, I mean, this is what we're here for is to be honest about it. Um, I, I don't really think that I so much, you know, I didn't say I don't like the Yamaha more, but um, now that I wrote it and got more comfortable on it, of course, I think I do. But what was the really was the deal breaker for me and what secured m me being sold on the Yamaha is the reliability um, for a practice machine. If anyone's riding a Honda, no offense to any of those people. Like I did it for many of years, but I feel sorry for them because I couldn't keep one underneath me. Like I, I worked on the thing more than I wrote it by, by a big, big margin. So it took away a lot of time from my family, a lot of time from just me being able to train off the bike, to enjoy the racing side of it, to enjoy it. It was, it was, you know, you work on it three hours, you ride it for, for 20 to 40 minutes and the thing would break again. You had to work on it again for three hours. You just didn't understand, you know, or didn't, if you had a new bike every month, every two months. Yeah, it was, it was all right when they were fresh, they were fine. Once you get a little bit of time on them and the things would fall apart, um, you know, and that was, that was the big sell for me when I got on this Yamaha. Like, of course, at first I didn't like it cause I've been on a Honda for so long, but, uh, when, once I got on the Yamaha, I got used to it. It was a lot of work to get used to. The first month was kind of hectic and I was, you know, oh, I don't think I really like it that much, but, uh, once I got it set up for me and realized the bike was going to hold up, way above and beyond any Honda that was ever underneath me. Um, that's when I was sold. That's when I will never, I, I told, I tell everyone, they're like, well, what do you think about the Honda? I said, you won't ever see me back on one. There's no way. You know, there's just, there's no possible way I could go back to one just because of, like I said, the reliability the Yamaha was, I mean, it was crazy, man. I didn't have to work on it. Uh, and if it was, it was something, you know, crack a piston, the normal thing, or, um, you know, every two months a crank would go out. But that's just that's that's bound to happen. Not like the cosmetically, the machine never failed me. Like I never had a cosmetic failure one time when I was riding it. Like it was always the 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 abuse on the motor, and that was it. I mean, I was playing simple. Like I did, I went six months and went through three motors, I think, and that was it. I didn't even change parts on the thing. Like I didn't even have any spare parts because I didn't need them. So that's my take on it. And if anybody, you know, and, and you know, some people have bad luck on the Yamaha, say they're pieces of crap, but. Like I said, my experience, man, they're the, they're the best machine out there. Obviously the only one available, but, but if I was anybody, I'd be on one, no doubt about it. Wow. Different perspective. Yeah. Know. Cause you know, you obviously hear a lot of, a lot of different people will say that they had that problem with the Yamaha and they go back to the Honda and they don't have these issues. Well, I don't know. I think just the length of time we ride them and how hard we ride the, those bikes. I think that the Yamaha was definitely the better choice. Um, for the team and for me i mean just it made me spend more time with my family being able to train harder off the bike enjoy 
enjoy it instead of working till nine o'clock at night, hoping that I get the thing back going for the next day. So, um, like I said, uh, yeah, just great. The Yamaha bike is, is, is amazing. And, um, yeah, I plan on being one on one for a long time for sure. Wow. How old are you, Jeffrey? I'm 28. Um, so you're still young. Yeah. I used to, I guess you say that, but <laughs> I don't I don't feel like 28 is young. I thought I was, you know, I'm 20, I was young, you know, but, um, and then and these years keep clicking off and man, it's flying by, you know, when you, when you racing and just with racing and just with this, the life of you know, how fast paced it is, is it seems like you're clicking off like crazy and um, yeah, it's waiting for it to slow down, but it's not. So unfortunately it, it doesn't gain speed. Yeah, no, that's not, that's not what I'm looking forward to. Next thing I know, I'm going to be 38 talking to you on here, you know? <laughs> it's, well, it's, hey, uh, let, let's hope so. Let's hope yeah, so. Right. right. Agreed. 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 You know, I mean, cause I'm, I'm just a couple days in front of you, you know, <laughs> that's funny. Well, yeah, trust me. Uh, you're, I, I have children older than you. <laughs> my dad, uh, it's funny. My dad was like, uh, he's like, uh, I told him we were doing the podcast tonight. He's like, he, 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 he's, he knows who I am. He, he knows me. He, he knows we, we, we go back. <laughs> no, I was like, that's funny. Uh, I just thought it was hilarious. Well, um, I met Joel, obviously not for the first time. I, I didn't realize it, um, but he met me when we were coming back to the Nationals when I was a young man, when I was probably younger than you are now. Really? So, um, I mean, he was a little kid back then, and yeah. uh, you just don't you just don't realize th- all the people that you meet and all the the roads that you travel on. And it's um, crazy. Yes, it is. It's super crazy. I mean, uh, yeah, I was like, yeah, I know, I know him. I remember, I remember him. I remember back in the day, you know, I remember him. my dad. It's just funny. So it, it well, I, I've been around, I've been around in the industry. My father started me in when I was four years old and my dad was one of the pioneers on the West coast of uh, building the old three wheeler, you know, the little 9110 four stroke three wheelers, you know, I mean, yeah, that's awesome. way before you, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's way awesome. before you. <laughs> that's great. That's awesome. Yeah. I just, my dad running pro and stuff, he wasn't always the the best and, and he knows that, but uh, he was just, it's really cool that, um, you know, legends of the sport, you know, in, including you just been in, being around forever and, um, you know, Shane hit and Tim Farr and all those guys that you know, I looked up to that my dad raced against at one time. It's just, uh, it's really cool, man. You know, Gary Denton and all of them. And he tells me stories of, of, you know, just racing them guys and, um, being in the way most of the time, but, uh, yeah, just, just tell me stories about that. And it's really cool. It, are you, Probably, I would have to say you're one of the only kids of the old guard that have made it through. Yeah, like say pro wise. I mean, my dad was the pro, and then I'm the pro now. I'm, you know, I think that is true. I think I, you know, all those other guys. I'm not sure if any any of their children that are racing, you know, now that I've ever been in the pro class. So, um, you know, I it would have been really cool if my dad was the top and top guy with me, you know, like one of the top, you know, five guys that have been really cool, even though he wasn't. Uh, but I think it's, um, I think it's really cool factor that, that um, we both made it, made it to the pro class. I think it's really, really cool for sure. Well, a little different era for your dad, your dad had a fully stacked deck 
in front of him. I mean, oh, yeah. if you ran top 10 at that point it, with those guys, you did well. No doubt. No doubt. And uh, it, the whole TT thing, like the whole aspect of how that racing went was, it was definitely a lot different. It was definitely a lot different then. And um, yeah, I'm proud of him. I'm not saying I'm not, but he, uh, you know, he had to work and stuff like that and do it all. So it wasn't like it was just, um, you know, his full-time job. So I give him props to, you know, to, to making it there and also being able to push me to, to where I'm at today. And, and uh, yeah, it's really cool. You got to figure, I haven't thought now that I'm thinking about it, now that you brought it to my attention, I haven't thought of some of those guys for 25 plus years. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. I'm picturing in my head, your dad's quad. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, You you know, if I'm, if I'm picturing the right quad in my head. Um, So yeah, it's, it's crazy, crazy, crazy. He was no slouch. No, no, he was not. No, he was not. And, you know, in his older age, he was even good, you know, and, and um, if I remember right, it was 2006, 2000, 2006, 2007, no, 2006, or maybe even 05. Um, he came back and he was, he, he was an older man. He was racing a 40 plus class, but he came out one year on the, uh, the, the YFZ before it, you know, the older style, the carb model and the open a, and he came from the back of the pack all the way up to third and stuff. Like I remember the reddish race, like it was yesterday. Um, and he's, he was the man, you know, he, like I said, he taught me everything I know and he was there and pushing me along the way and he knew what he was doing. I mean, he, he'd say it to me. He's like, I, I may not be able to do it as good as you, but I know how to do it. You know, like he knew what to do, but he may not be able to do it. So um, some of the best cool. teachers weren't the best guys. Yep. Agreed. Because they have it, they have the idea, the technique, the theory, you know, and they have some know-how. So there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, they say those that can't do teach, you know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It was a, uh, it was, it was a good time. I mean, like obviously, you got me where I am, and and we're doing pretty well. You know, I'm not the best of the, I'm not the, I'm not Chad Ween in the eight time, but um, you know, we're there, we're there, finishing, battling for the podium each weekend. So I can't. Uh, yeah, I can't knock that. It's it's, uh, it's well earned. So, how much national stuff did you did it do as a young man? I started when I was ten, so I've been doing it for eighteen years. I haven't I haven't missed a a year yet. So, it's been a long time. Um, yeah, my dad got me started on it. Uh, the first race we did it was actually I had no interest in it until I was ten. I had the bikes, but I didn't really have interest in riding it, riding those even a dirt bike. Uh, or a four wheeler for a while. And I think when I was, you know, about eight, I had a KX 65 and I got on that dirt bike and I got on that and raced that for a little while. Then, um, my dad was like, you know, we had an LT 80 sitting there and he's like, well, let me go, you know, let's go Eshikani. You know, he just was getting back into riding cause he was out for a while. Um, just working and just got out of a sport for a while. And, um, we got that LT80, that stock LT80 that was in our garage and he had his 250R and we went to Echikani and, Man, it was it was all uh, uphill from there. I mean, we just never missed one from there on out. It was kind of crazy that it was just like, you know, him wanting to get back in it. And I couldn't even make it up the hills at Echikani on my stock LT80 because the clutch was so burnt. So I, after that, we um, the Daniel Boone was the next race, I believe. And it was crazy because the I don't know if you know the Casilla at the time. It was the belt-driven 
um belt driven bikes that was like the at that at that area the casilla was the best thing in the, the best of the best if you didn't have a casilla you were you were going backwards so um the only one we could find in the whole country was no joke five miles from daniel boone at some rinky dink little shop that I, I i don't even know how they had a casilla but they did and we bought it on the way to the race and raced the 90 production stock class and uh yeah and then there from there on out hetrick started doing my casillas the next year hetrick racing did my full bill casilla and then it was just we were full board from there on out so it's pretty crazy to think about that uh it was more or less him wanting to get back into it and bringing me with him and and then um then we just kept at it and didn't didn't stop does the whole family travel with you guys yes still to this day still to this day my wife and uh my mom and my dad we go to every race together and i think my my mom's only missed a couple in all of these years and my dad's i think missed only one so um yeah it's been crazy it's been crazy and it's been a good, good ride i mean it's been a family sport and it's kept uh kept us close and um we still to this day travel together in the motorhome we leave home and and uh we drive to every race mostly and i mean we fly to some but drive and drive as a family and we also you know swap swap seats in the drivers swap turns in the driver's seat and um you know split up the hours between us and yeah it's good it's good and your teammates with with joel right now yes yes sir yes sir i am me and uh me and joel what's funny is is we grew up racing each other as well you know um for a long time we battled each other um in the amateur classes and he got the oh, excuse me he got the the best of me for um a lot of years and there was about one year that um in 2007 wpsa that i uh i actually trained with rodney gentry believe it or not he lived in ocala florida by hard rock cycle park and um me and my dad would go up there every weekend and rodney would train me he would ride with me and i was actually riding a 450 even though i shouldn't have been at 14 years old i was riding a 450 with him and he was man i'm telling you there were some jumps at that track that that no 14 year old should have been doing let alone on a 450 and you know rodney was having me fall him over these things and um just a quick little funny story that i went back there a year later you know i was 15 i was more experienced i was a better rider i i didn't jump any of those jumps again i wouldn't do it rodney was out there he's he was you know he was probably 45 at the time i mean he was you know he wasn't like he was young a young buck at all and he's clapping these things and making it look easy and having me falling over him and and you know after that that's that training you know of the first you know or the three months that i went up there every weekend i went out and i was pretty pretty well dominant in the super mini class that year against joel so um and uh yeah we just became really good friends racing each other all that time and now we're you know some of my he's one of my best friends and we're teammates so it's kind of crazy that we rolled through the ranks together and you know a lot of times when we race each other we weren't happy when one of one of the other beat each other but uh yeah now we're we're good friends and um obviously teammates and um i think that was a good camaraderie underneath the tent and stuff there was no headbutting and stuff like that but uh i maybe if there maybe there would have been if i could have been up there a little more this year but uh no it's good it's kind of crazy to think about you know that uh how far we go back and we've been racing each other since we were 12 years old and here we are you know teammates um on the same team so kind of kind of ironic and pretty crazy for sure wow what uh, what's your favorite place to race Ooh, that's a tough one you know that's that is a really tough one i really 
I really loved Iron Man. Um, Iron Man was probably my f- favorite track, and obviously it wasn't on the circuit this year, and it wasn't uh, in 2020. But man, that place was just epic. The first year we went there, it had a the Godzilla. They called it the the massive massive wall. You would you would go up, and it was the, the landing was 120 feet past this thing but the you couldn't even walk up this hill it was so steep and you had to hit this thing fourth wide open and in the uh like the jump face you'd actually leave before the top of the hill actually so you couldn't see what was on the other side and i remember the first year we'd be in there um chad weenan tried it first and he cased it and broke his frame on his yamaha like he he had to change his whole bottom section of his frame because he pulled the linkage out of it he cased it so bad and uh, the second qualifier, it was drizzling. And I just had this gut feeling like I, that I could do this jump. No one's done it and made it. I just had this super weird gut feeling like just jump it. Just just hold it wide open and you'll make it. Like, I don't know why for a lot of years I was like that. But, man, I jumped this thing and I will never forget it for my whole career. I jumped this thing and then, I, you know, I'm looking down I'm like, holy crap. And I, I, I made it and everything went smooth. And of course, next thing, you know, everybody's jumping it, but, uh, that, that jump in that track in particular, I think was one of my favorites along with Unadilla and Redbud. I mean, but Ironman, I think was that old, the old style, the newer style. I don't really like as much as the old style track, to be honest with you, but that place was awesome, man. That place is good racing, really big jumps. Um, I like to jump. So that was my, that was my forte. I like that place a lot. Uh, did you ever go to Muddy Creek? I did. Yeah, we went to Muddy Creek a lot, and um, you know, no, trying to bash the the promoters there, or the owners, or anything. But I seem like over the years it got worse. Like, um, in when they redid the track to allow the the pro dirt bikes to go back originally, um, I'm not sure exactly what year that was. You know, it was um, 2016 to 2018, somewhere in there. They redid the track completely, and or maybe it was it was even. 14 15 maybe anyways i'm not sure exactly what year but like that year the track was really good and then it seemed like they just didn't tend to us like they used to and all the jump faces were double faced and there's a lot of mulch and it may became one lined and really skinny over the last few years so we actually didn't go back this year because we kind of voted it out because the racetrack wasn't as good it wasn't a racetrack um it seemed like it got super one line, so nobody really liked it um, past couple of years. But before that, man, I, we really did like it. I mean, the track was good, but I don't know. It just seemed like they didn't tend to us as much as we'd like, of course, with preparation for us to come there. Almost like they took us for granted. But like I said, I, I, that's just how we looked at it. And um, hopefully they don't take offense to it, but I, I'm sure that's not going to be possible with how I just talking. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of that place. No, I, I, uh, and it's not the course, it's the weather. Oh yeah. No, that yes, no doubt. I mean, they call it muddy Creek for a reason. I breaking, I will never forget a race. My, my rookie year there, I was, uh, I was not doing the best that year in general, you know, just like, um, every rookie that usually goes in there, they come out of there with their tails between their legs. And, um, yeah, that year I was one of them like coming off a of pro-am. I, I scored so many fast qualifiers, like faster than everyone that the year prior in pro-am, you know, in time qualifying, I was like, of course, me, I was on a high horse. I was the fastest kid alive 
you know, quote unquote to me in my head. And I go out there and it was just, wasn't the same, but, um, yeah, that, that race in particular, like, like I wasn't, I, something happened. I got in a tangle up or I wrecked or something and man, the monsoon that came down mid moto and I'd never forget Natalie, John Natalie. And I think Chad Weenan were the ones battling for the lead. And like, I've only been lapped a very few times in my career. And that was one of them because I was already in the back and I was like, you know what? Like I came, I can't, I don't even know where to go. It's raining so hard. It was raining cats and dogs at this place. And the track was so tore up and so nasty. That place is never fun when it, when it rains. I mean, there's just nothing fun about that place when it rains. It sucks. <laughs> I was green and uh, my brother got sick and he handed me a plane ticket and three motors said, uh, good luck. Have fun. <laughs> it rained so much. I brought all three of those motors back with me. <laughs> you weren't putting those in there to get blown up. Uh, we did. We did. Cause we needed them all for ra- the race. Oh, so they did all blow up. You brought them all back with you because they all uh, blew up. Uh, I think two of them finished um but were full of mud and one of them did oh, yeah. and it was full of mud and when he pulled the cylinders off of me he goes did you guys even try to keep the water out <laughs> and i just said dude you have no idea how bad it was i mean it was <laughs> horrible it's uh yeah it, that place man uh, i'm i'm very i'm very happy that uh honestly that we don't go back there honestly i'm um you know, it's, it was a legacy. Like, I feel like, you know, I think it was something that um, we more or less went back to because we always did like, every, you know, even back in the day, everybody raced it. That was always part of ATV racing, but yeah, the recently it just it got worse. So we kind of wanted it out of there and there was a lot of other tracks on, um, on our menu that were a lot better. So that's where we went. You guys need to come back out to Glen Helen. Oh man, I would love to. I went out there in 2004 on a 90 mod or 2000, uh, 2005, sorry, um, on a 90 mod. And it was, it was all time. I mean, it was just, I, I now obviously that was a long time ago. So to come back out there now as a pro on a 450 would be just awesome. I agree with yes, you on that. You should have came with Joel. I know. I wish I could have, I wish I could have, uh, it was, uh, I think we were limited on machines at the time. And, um, you know, like I work a job, obviously right now, like that's my, I work for my dad running heavy equipment. So that, and just, um, yeah, I just didn't have the time to go out there with having to be busy with work and stuff. I would have loved to go. I mean, trust me, I would have been out there in two seconds if I, if I, I had the chance, but, um, yeah, just gonna have to do it on my own. I'd hopefully I have to do it not on my own, but I'd hopefully be able to do it at one point in time for sure. Do you work full time during the race season? Um, not full time. Um, I do work during the race season, but you know, if he needs me one or two days a week, it's nothing crazy just when he really needs help. So uh, that allows me to train and, and ride and stuff. Mostly. I mean, that's mostly my full-time job is, is to train and, and race and stuff like that. So that's, uh, that's the main focus of course, but yeah, I do have to help. I do have to help sometimes. And sometimes it's three days a week, but most of the time it's one or two days a week. I just got to give him a helping hand. Um, other than that, it's just uh, yeah, full board racing. Not to not to veer off, but is working with him full time your goal after racing? Yeah, of course. Um, he owns the company, and it's a small company. We only have um, right now four four full time employees and um, two part time truck drivers. But we're able to get a lot done, and we have a lot of equipment. 
um, for, you know, just this small, small group of people that we have. So um, that's obviously my goal. That's what, how we make a living and how we keep everything afloat with, with racing and stuff. Um, you know, all those years before Phoenix, I, that was always us. And like we're, yeah, I was on a Baldwin program or a JB program underneath all these tents, but those all cost money. You know, you don't, you don't get the best, the best from Baldwin without having to, uh, you know, obviously put in some money into the program. So, um, yeah, that's how we make our living. And that's, that's my future for sure. But, uh, there's nothing like lining up on the gate on a four wheeler. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> the, the, the factory so-called rides of old of yesteryear that the industry supplied are probably never coming back. Yeah. And you know, I, I've heard that before, but I, I have to believe that, um, one day the, the sport will grow enough again, cause it did take strides this year over last year. Um, I think like a hundred, a hundred people average per race more than 2020, um, even in even 2019. So we're, we're steadily growing. So hopefully it'll grow enough to where it used to be, you know, that it'll come back, but you know, there's no telling. There was a long time, a long hiatus in between, you know, Gary Denton and that time where there was a lot of factory rides and stuff till the 2000, you know, five, you know, six era till the 2010 era. I mean, those, there's a big gap in between those two where there was nothing, but hopefully, you know, one day I, I can, I can experience that because I, I came in the pro class right after all that went away. And of course it hasn't came back. So I never got that chance to ride for a full factory team and get that full factory pay. So it's always been, um, you know, a struggle always has been, it's been a, it's been more of a love of the sport type deal for me. I mean, to just keep going and spending the money that we're spending is more or less just us loving it and can't getting enough, can't get enough of it. So. Well, that's, so. that's, that's where it came from. You know, it came from the guys loading up their three-wheelers in the back of their truck and going and riding. Uh, and then Han and Kawasaki got into it and, and they did some stuff uh, with the factories for a while. Then they went away and yep. then it was all for the love of it, for the love of the sport. Um, that's how I got it. The dent in the air, there was no factories. It was all self-sustained industry people carrying the load and, and providing the bikes and the teams. And, you know, we had a field of, of factory guys that out of the Duncan camp that, that rode for us and other companies. And, and that's just how we did it. Um, that's how it kind of is right now. Yeah. The last time the factories came in though, they hurt us. Really? They yeah. Were, the small companies. Yep. Yeah, they really freaking kicked us in the teeth and just said, uh, we don't care about you. Yeah, that sucks. That's not that's not how it should be. But, you know, for for, you know, guys like us or, you know, those guys that got those contracts, I mean, that's what you strive for. You know, when you're when you're a kid, you see those things. And that's how I grew up. That's what I grew up for. That's what I pushed. My, my That's what I pushed for. You know, you see these guys on these factory machines, these factory rigs with the big money contracts and, you know, able to make a living, a great living racing a four-wheeler i mean that was always the goal of course when you when i was growing up it was the wpsa era when i was on super mini and 300 you know i was just i was just about to turn 16 and go on a 450 and there they all went out the door you know so it was just uh just super bad timing for me of course it would have been i think 
you know, there was one time um, that Suzuki was talking to me for a factory, like factory support, amateur support to run a 400 to, and then leap up on to, you know, obviously when I turned 16 to get on a LTR 450 and I'll never forget that because that was, you know, obviously the dream come true, you know, to get factory support on the Z 400 to run the schoolboy senior class. And when I was 15 till, you know, for six months until I turned 16, cause I would turn 16 in the middle of the season and they were going to put me on an LTR 450, which uh, we talked about it, but it obviously never came to fruition, which is, you know, upsetting. But, um, you know, I just remember these things being talked about and, um, it's, uh, it's kind of crazy that, uh, I came in at just the wrong time. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of us, you know, I got to live through the factories three times and, and, um, had some great stories with them and without them. Yep. And, I'm for the love of the sport. So the guys like you that are putting it on your shoulders to, to carry it on and, and keep it going. I really, I really respect that because that's, what's going to keep the sport going and that's going to keep it growing. Um, you know, and you, you are in one of the premier teams right now. Uh, you, you, you do have some help there that, that a lot of guys are, they're striving for that. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. Get it is a big deal. I mean, Phoenix racing stepping up like this and, and, uh, obviously coming in, not having to support us. Cause it's not like there's anything to gain from it. I mean, honestly, uh, there's no factory money or anything like that out there to, to go out and get. So for David Eller at Phoenix racing to, to accommodate me and excuse me, me and Joel, um, yeah, it's incredible. And it's a, it's a high profile team and it's uh it's a really, a pleasure to be a part of there's no doubt about it and i finally felt like i got my break in 2020 when when he um at the end of 2019 i was i was definitely um i was on my way out for sure i was uh i, I was diagnosed with epstein-barr virus and was really dragging butt through the races i was really fatigued and struggling with with my life and with my you know with my health and you know money and everything I was putting everything I had into racing and it just, you know, just was, it was slipping out of my fingertips. And, um, and he came to me and he was like, hey, what, are you, what are you doing next year? And, um, you know, I, I, I told him and I said, I'm either, I'm either done or I'm under your tent, David. <laughs> like, it's what I said. I said, I'm either done. Or I'm under your tent. And, um, there we go. I was under Phoenix racing that year and, um, I got injured, so it didn't work out that well. Um, but then, you know, this last year, coming back on the team and running this Yamaha and um, just switching my, I switching my diet because even at the beginning of the year, I was struggling with my health again at the beginning of this 2021. And um, yeah, I just, I switched my diet and I actually went vegan, um, completely vegan and man, it changed my whole life around. So um, it was just a, yeah, a big step in the right direction for me. And uh, now, now that I, I did that diet switch, I feel like, I have a lot more years left in my, in my career. Honestly, it made me come back to life and change my whole, my whole world. I mean, I don't, I just, I don't even know how I felt like I felt before. So, um, yeah, it's pretty crazy. That's two of you that I've talked to that have the, have the, the different diet. Yeah. I just, I just, uh, you know, doing research and doing things that, um, you know, people aren't really willing to do some people. And I was willing to do it. To, I'm willing to do anything to be at the top of my game. And at the time I wasn't at the top of my game and um, I did a lot of research and that research was true. Um, once I applied it 
to uh to my program and for training and recovery man there's just uh it's there's no comparison i can't i can't stress it enough you know obviously there's people that are joel or any of these guys that are doing really well without it but as for me as um you know me personally i i i can't go back can't go back to eating the way i was or you know eating eating those things just because of how it made me feel um you know my body was a little bit obviously more sensitive to those things and and uh yeah vegan works for me man that's that's all i can say about it and that you know what everybody's different and everybody's got their own uh, way of dealing with things and everybody's body reacts differently to certain things so i'm inspired by it uh, a because i'm older and, and and you have to as you get older you have to change the way you eat you know yeah. you can't just sit down and be a meat and potatoes guy at 55 years old it just it's too much your body yeah. can't take it and I agree. Uh, and thank oh excuse me excuse me on that yeah. but uh see, but what's crazy is to me is um you know, you say the 55 and can't be a meat and potatoes guy and I'm 28 and I can't be a meat and potatoes guy. Like, you know, like you said, the, the body reacts differently. And I was, um, you know, I was just, I was eating, um, a lot of meat cause that's just what we're sold and what we're told to do. I feel like, um, I don't know, that's just how it is, I guess, you know, I don't know. It's just how it's always been, how I've always been, how I've always been taught. Um, and like I said, I just, there's something wasn't right. I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure it out. Couldn't figure it out. And then I changed, I changed that and boom, I was, I was back battling at the front like that quick. And for, you know, the longest time in my career, I always wanted the races shorter because I could never last. I could never last. I don't know why I just, I would train hard. I would do the best I can. But my body just didn't work properly. And, um, it was funny this year in the pro meeting and everyone's like, so what do we think about, uh, race times? So I'm like, well, I mean, we can bump it up if you guys want. Like, uh, you never hear that come out of my mouth at any time in my career. And it's been, I've had a, I've had a pro career almost, you know, 10 years now, and this will be my 10th pro year. And I would have never came out of my mouth any other time in my career that we can lengthen the races out. So that's where I think it brought life back to my, my career and back to my program that, uh, yeah, I just truly believe that. So what do you do for training? I mean, how do you set your training regimen up? Oh, I like to just switch it up. I switch my, I, you know, obviously it's, it's tough cause you gotta, I live in Florida, so it's, it's tough with weather, um, that it rains a lot. So you got to kind of, you know, schedule your ride days, like whenever it's on the fly, it has to be, cause if you don't, you know, you're gonna, you're not going to ride, you can you schedule. So you're going to schedule a ride Tuesday. Well, it, it might rain all day, Tuesday, you get no chance. So, um, I'm, I have to be kind of on the fly with that kind of stuff, but I, I do a lot of everything. I run, I bike, I do, um, lightweight training, um, ski erg rower. Um, and I go off, I go off of how my body feels when I wake up that day. If my body feels fatigued and needs a rest, I rest, or I do a light, re, uh, a light bike ride or a light run, a slow paced, um, if, if I feel really super fresh that day and I'll go do a hardcore run, um, a five miler in the heat of the summer in Florida, I did a lot of those this year, um, you know, running about an eight minute pace at, at for five miles in, in the heat of the day, just to get the heat adaptation and, and have that, um, have that heat training for in the middle of summer when we were going to Redbud and going to different things like that. So, um, I like to run a lot. 
um, biking lets my mind wander a little bit too much sometimes. And I get kind of bored for some reason. Um, I'm a high, strong, more high, strong person where I got to keep my mind busy. So that was kind of a, that's kind of one thing that when I bike ride, I just, I was like, oh, man, I'm, I'm bored. So I'd push it harder. And some days I would bike ride. So I didn't do that. Um, but, you know, just trying to balance it, man, and to know that recovery days are the most important when you feel fatigued, you, you are fatigued. So you should probably you know, relax. Um, and also with the training, I, I took a lot of ice baths, man. Every time I was done with a hard day of training, I got in that ice bath every day. I, I, I lived in that thing. So that was, um, that was tough. That's a really painful, painful situation. But afterwards, man, you're a whole new man and you're ready to go for the next day. And I also believe that the vegan diet for me was a big recovery thing. Um, when I went on that, I was able to recover so fast that the next day I was always fresh. That's how I always felt. There was very rarely where I would wake up the next day and be like, you know, like I'm tired. I need to take today off. So yeah, that was how I felt. And the training wise, just as I'm getting older, learning, learning more and learning more about my body to relax some days and do light training. And then other days do it hard. And, you know, trying to combine all that with riding is tough, but, uh, and especially in the heat of the summer in Florida, it's brutal, but, um, yeah, just listen to your body. It's the main thing. Do you have any, uh, do you ever do any blood work or anything like that? Have doctors or, or any type of outside, uh, people helping you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I actually, I actually, um, so for the longest time, um, I had a, a test, I had testosterone issues and, um, I think it had something to do with all the concussions that I sustained. And there's a pituitary gland in your head that you know, controls all your hormones in your body. And I had so many concussions over the, the course of my career that I don't even want to tell the number because everybody will probably judge me for still racing. Um, but I think that messed up my hormones a lot. And, um, what was crazy was, is, um, I had my, my blood taken before I started the diet and my testosterone levels were really low and I was struggling in some areas, you know, across the board. And then, uh, after I switched the diet, all of a sudden everything was in a straight line, everything hormonal wise and, um, you know, vitamin and vitamin, no vitamin deficiencies, no anything. So it was, uh, yeah, I just, I had that taken before and after, and now it's, it's not even comparable of how I feel compared to what I did before. So I think that that's a huge thing. If anybody's, if anybody's struggling, there's, there's always a way out. Cause I was struggling for many years and didn't know what, what to do. And, um, you know, people still think I'm, you know, kind of crazy to cut out meat and, and dairy, but I'm going to tell you it worked for me and I've seen it work for a lot of people. And, uh, you know, I would just, if anybody's struggling like that and anybody's thinking they need to be in better shape or, or feel like they can't get over the hump it's it's probably by what you're eating and um there's always a way out so i got to work with a writer for a while that played with uh vegan and the not and vegan and the not uh he might not have stuck with it long enough to make the the gains um not not sure i don't uh i don't know how he was feeling uh, i've had more of an in-depth conversation with you about it than i did him so it, it, it's strange to me because I come from an era where, uh, you know, meat, meat is what we ate. And uh, that's the main, main food that's consumed is the and, meat. The other, the other things are the sides. Yeah. Know? And uh, 
now in my life meat is still part of it but it's the secondary usually yep yep agreed and that's that's how i try to like before when i was feeling like crap and and having issues i was always eating more meat than i was the other things because that's what i was just told or what we were brought up to do and i'm not necessarily saying it's the meat that is the issue or anything like that but it's how it's processed how it's produced now um you know how, what's in those things what, what do they put in those cows and how they're raised and in these you know they're being held captive almost and how what they're feeling how the hormones that run through those meat like i don't know there's a lot of research that i did that it's um it's not necessarily the meat but it's how it's being produced now and what they're putting in it is messing up you know messing up the hormones and messing up all the different things in our bodies that allow us to you know obviously perform at p performance and i wasn't you know some people are still able to but uh i was one i wasn't one of them so um i it it, it started helping me after the first month um i was honestly struggling with weight a little bit too i was you know struggling with weight when i when i was um eating meat and dairy and like i would train and i would do all these things but i would never you know i never feel like i look like a professional athlete or or felt like one and um i lost 25 pounds since i've been vegan and it's been uh it's been crazy man it's just and i wasn't like i was huge before but now i'm probably smaller than i was in in uh shoot i'd say eighth ninth grade was this i was this size it's the last time i was this size and that was you know whew, a long time ago man you know it's it's uh kind of kind of crazy to think about so um yeah i, I i'll live in live and die to tell that story like i don't know i'll i'll, I'll tell anybody that they i think it'll work for them you know because it's just worked for me and my wife and my mom and dad like we all did it together and they all did blood before and after and it was all beneficial when we did it so well that's great i'm glad it's working out for you, you. um do do you think that the uh this is my perspective and you can you can uh fill in or or give me yours um I see a group of, of young riders and you're included in that group from third to 10th that are ultra competitive. Oh yeah. It's, it's crazy right now. I mean, that, that pack of guys, it was um, nose to tail every race, man. We were all together always. There was never, um, there's never a time where it was like, Oh yeah, well, these guys broke away or these guys broke away. Like we always, if one was faster than the other, we would all match, you know, that pace. If the guy was faster, we would find out where he's faster. We would match it. And then we, then we would step it up somewhere and we'd pressure him and pass him and he would step it up. So, man, we were super competitive this year and I loved every second of it. And I, I truly believe that this was probably the funnest year I've ever had racing because of that. Um, I'm not a guy that likes to go out there and, get third by myself that's that's like the most boring thing ever you know like that's that's no fun to me um battling the whole race changing lines you know um someone sticking it in on you you sticking in on someone else that was that was really fun this year and um you know wesley me and me and bryce ford had a lot of fun doing that i mean we battled battled our tails off and we finished third and fourth that was what the position was and we knew it but Wesley Wolf was included, Max Linquist, Brandon Hogue, um, you know, Nick Janusa. We were all battling every weekend, like 
every moto. I mean, it was, there was not a time where we weren't duking it out. So it was, uh, man, it was a lot of fun racing this year with those kids. I mean, to me, their kids, there's, there's a few, you know, Bryce and Max and Brandon, you know, they're the younger, a little bit younger than, than me and Nick, but, uh, yeah, man, it was a lot of fun racing them. Those, those kids for sure. It was a really good time. I have people that watch from, from back there and talk to me about things that are going on. Uh, you don't get everything out of a video or out of a, a photo. So it's difficult to judge everything, but the information I'm given is that as the season progressed, the pack kept getting closer and closer to Joel and Chad. Agreed. Um, I think we all, on that. Yeah. I think that we all were, were getting better for sure. We were all learning and we were all learning together and all pushing each other to the front. Um, I think that was definitely, I think that was true. Um, at Briarcliff, I know that I, I felt better that race than I had all year. And I think if I'd have got starts that I would have actually been able to maybe do something up there. I'm not saying beat them, but at least hang with that pack and of those two more. Um, because I felt like I was getting better throughout the year, no doubt about it. Um, you know, like I said, the red button, the red is I had those problems, which didn't show results wise that I was better, but man, at Briarcliff at the last round, I could have swore I could have, I could have ran with those boys. If I would have at least got a good start and been able to see the pace, I felt so good that I've never came off the track after 25 minutes and asked for more time. Like I needed it because I needed to catch, catch Nick Janusa and pass him to be able to gain more points on Bryce. But like never in my career um, was I like really excited to, I need more laps. Like that, that was all there was to it. I was like, I need more laps. I need, I need a 30, I need a 30 minute moto. I don't know. So I think that um, we were all progressing and uh, it, they pushed me, those kids pushed me to the next level this year for sure. I mean, if I was just in a lonely third, would I have stepped up my game? Probably not. You know, you get comfortable. So to know that we were going to go in there and, 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 uh, you know, break out the swords every weekend. And it was, it was definitely, definitely keeping us on our toes and progressing forward. There's no doubt about it. Do you ride in the pro stock class? I did not, not this year. Nope. I did not. Do you ride in any other classes or is it just the, the nope, pro just our, just the pro class, the original pro class that we would, that I would race in. Um, I wanted to race in, in the stock. Um, but at the same time, um, my dad had to get home for work on Monday and most of the time I had to help him in the beginning of the week so I can get back to training later. So, um, excuse me, we would, um, we would leave on Saturday night after the races so we can get home because we obviously are in Florida. It's a long hike every time. So, right. And, and you're more beneficial being in Florida because you do get to train year round where a lot of those guys that live in different places can't train in the wintertime. Absolutely. You know, it's just, uh, you know, for me, I can train and I, I try to, I try to, I've been trying to stay on my dirt bike right now because I don't have a bike from Phoenix. They're, they're redoing the machines and, and stuff like that, getting them ready for the training season. So personally right now I do not have a four wheeler. I have my stalker, but, and again, I have to work full time right now. So, I, I could do have an upper hand, but, you know, I feel like if I made, you know, a little more money racing and I could, you know, fund my, this, you know, October to, you know, uh, December 
I'm riding. I, I, I definitely would, but uh, that's the time I have to build back, back funds and everything. And um, I still train off the bike, but on the bike training right now, it's pretty tough just for the fact of having a full-time job and trying to take care of sponsorship stuff and, and with the team and just, just, I don't know, just everything's just a lot at the off season, especially at the long season, you want to take a little break, but uh, yeah, like I'm able to definitely train from, from January to, to March. I mean, no one, everybody else has to come down here and stay, you know, a lot of people stay at my house. So I definitely have that advantage to stay home. Um, but, you know, I wish I would get, obviously get more training in at the, these times, at this point in time, I would, you know, I'd love to have that, but I just uh, I don't. So that's, well, you know what, it's for the love of the sport. I mean, we talked about it earlier, Absolutely. you know, long-term yeah. goals, long-term goals. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do it because I love it. Um, obviously, I'm not getting much out of it. I go to work and run heavy equipment to make up for it. So, um, yeah, that's that's the uh, long term girls is to be here. But also long term goal, man, it was to be to make a living racing and, and not have to do this. So it's like, I don't know which uh, pick your poison, you know. Well, you know, I I've made my living in the ATV industry and working in the ATV industry, obviously not as a racer, but as a, as a working for a performance company and a job's a job. I mean, I love what I do. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I couldn't see myself doing anything else, but you're in a unique situation. You get to do what you love and your family backs you. Um, Absolutely. I would, uh, I would focus more on the fact that you get to do it and less on the fact that you have to go drive heavy equipment or work with heavy equipment uh, to, to fund it. Um, because here's the, here's the reality of it for all of us when it's over, it's over. Absolutely. That's where I think I took it for granted when I was younger, of course, um, you know, basing solely why I would stay on money. Um you know, stay in the sport. It was, I was basing it solely on money. And I feel like obviously now that I'm getting older, I mean, it's becoming, you know, a thought. I mean, it's became a thought because I don't make much, but man, I got my whole life to make a living. I feel like, so why not? Uh, yeah. And, and they always say you only live once. So man, I just, I feel like I have more in my tank. I feel like I can be better. I can, I feel like I can win. So I just, if if I feel that way, why am I going to walk away from it? I just, I feel like I would, I would personally go more crazy by leaving the sport than staying in for say, you know, I'm not saying this, but stay and, and be broke. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like I would rather have nothing and have ATV racing than have everything and not have it. So that's where I'm at. It's, it's always, you know, been a juggle as I was getting older of what, uh, you know, why I was here. But uh, as I'm getting older, I realize it's because I love it. And there's nothing, there's nowhere, n- no other explanation for it. Right. Are you aware that most of the champions in the ATV world, if you chart history, have been 32 years and older? And I'd, I, I didn't know that, but I do know that Chad is one of them. Chad, it took him a very long time to reach that goal. And he just stuck it out and did what he could do. And the next thing you know, him being, you know, 30 and older, it was like, bing, it's not, you know, it was, 
it's pretty crazy. And I just, I, like I said, with the diet and with everything, with how I felt the last race this year, I cannot hang it up because if I did, I'd be giving up on myself. And I know for a fact that I have more in me and that's where I just, it's going to keep me, it's going to keep bringing me back. Um, like I just, I really truly believe. Look at it this way. Bo Barron's no Joel Hetrick, but Bo Barron stayed within 20 some seconds of him in an off-road race that was an hour plus one lap. And it was a shortened race on the West coast. And he's 40 years old. I know it. It's crazy. It's impressive. And well, and Doug Eichner retired when he was in his mid forties and he was a multi-time champion. Uh, Gary Denton retired when he was 38. Dust was in his forties. Bird was in his forties. It's crazy. You know, look at Natalia, same way. I mean, he was a couple of time champ. He was, he was what, 41 when he, when he retired. I think, I think so. I think so. Um, you know, Chad, he's still going strong. Um, he's, he's not slowing down anytime soon, man. He's, uh, he's getting better the same way, you know? So, uh, that's where I just, I feel like I got to hang it out. Cause I'm, I'm learning still, obviously I may, it's kind of crazy when you think about like, like dirt bike champions, they're all younger. And it's kind of weird when you think about it. Like, um, you know, you have like the Villapotos, the Dungies, and all these people in the, in the Carmichael's, they started winning championships right away in the MX world. And it's like on the, on the four-wheel world, it always seemed like everybody took them a while. You know, it was like Joel won it pretty early. He's pretty young. You know, he's won a couple pretty early. But, you know, he's one of how many champions that done that? Two. Yeah. Exactly. So, okay. And the two were... Joel Hetrick and Jeremiah Jones. Yep. And those are two riders that not many can compare to, you know, like they're one of a kinds, you know, Jeremiah was definitely one. I remember looking up to him when I was younger. He was, it was crazy what he could do on a four wheeler. And Joel was another one of those guys. I, so. I never got to, I never got to enjoy the true Jeremiah Jones effect. Um, like I, I, the stories I hear from the other riders and people that are involved with him. Um, and I'm gaining such a huge amount of respect for the knowledge, the, just the pure knowledge that guy has for such a young man to, to know his craft so well and to be so good. And I'm not trying to make this a Jeremiah Jones commercial or anything. No, no, no. But, but like, I, I love talking. This is binge racing. I love talking it. I mean, it's just a matter of what we're talking about. I'm, you're expressing your opinion. I'm going to express mine about the guy. I remember vividly. I can't remember if it was my first year at Chicago when I was 10, you know, that first race that I was at, or if it was the next year. But I remember seeing this guy on a yellow Klotz 250R. And the track was just rougher than I, you, I mean, it was ridiculous. He had a 40 second lead and that guy did not let off the throttle the entire race. That thing was just, ah, I mean, you know, it was the whole track was a whoop section and all, all you can hear was him. You couldn't hear them. Other guys, other guys are, you know, like kind of balancing through it. That dude would not, he'd shift the gear and just never let off the throttle. And I just remember vividly. I don't know why I remember that so much, but I do. And uh, it was just, just mind blowing to me that someone could ride a four wheeler like that. And just, it's, he just hang on, just hang on for the ride, hold it wide open and hang on to the thing. And he did it. He did it the best out of anybody. It's crazy. Very, very talented young man. Very talented. It was, it was crazy. Yeah. And is, but I like hearing the stories now 
of Chad and other guys, there's a multitude of pros that have told me just the amount of knowledge he has by watching people ride and the things that he can tell them to change, to go faster. Uh, Having that eye is, is, is incredible. It is. And I actually was at his house a lot when I was growing up. I, he taught me a lot myself. Um, I went to Jeremiah's house and, uh, multiple times through my career when he still had that track. And, uh, it was probably six years in a row. I went there every year and rode with, um, some of the best riders in the sport. And then along with him, they're teaching us, you know, teaching us what we needed to know. So, um, I got to give credit to him, Rodney Gentry and all those guys, like all these old school guys that helped me out, uh, huge. And, you know, Rodney's another one that's just kind of crazy. You think about, he was the first ever, I'm pretty sure the first ever AMA champion, that first GNC MX champion, I believe. Correct. He was the first four-wheeler champion. Yeah, first four-wheeler champion. It's yep. just crazy to think about. It's crazy to think about. And I was in my home state training with this guy. And as a kid, you don't know. You you take that for granted. You don't know the first, you know, ATV champion. It's like, whatever. You know what I mean? You're just, you're just old, you know? Like, I don't know. Like, as a kid, you're just like that old guy. But now you look back at it, I was just like, I'm thinking about it. And it's just mind-blowing. You know, the guy was was taking me under his wing and let me fall around this track and tell me inside lines, outside lines and how to pass and going inside, outside, outside, inside. Um, yeah. It's just crazy. Think about it's really cool. I was very fortunate to have him, um, you know, do that for me for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I got to meet him and I remember being in Washington when Gary Denton was riding a Suzuki. Uh, I was there, you know, standing you know, two feet from his quad right after the race, you know, and, and being a, a kid, you know, I was racing a three wheeler at the time and, and just uh, some of the amazing people that you get to meet and, and talk to. And, and uh, when Rodney came back, when, when it was in the later eighties, early nineties, um, he was still fast. He was still good. Uh, the game had changed a little on him, um, yep. but for the most part, he, he was still good. You know, yeah, he's a really good dude. Um, still like he uh he's still right he was still riding he actually got hurt um i think like a year ago um had a brain fart and hurt himself but man he was still he was still flying didn't he have heart surgery he did that as well but um i think he had um he had heart surgery but he had a mishap on a jump where he thought it was a jump that a bigger jump and it wasn't and it was a smaller jump and he hit this thing really fast and launched it and um, landed out in the like on a on a ridge and and it completely stopped the bike and it hurt him really bad. Um, that was just maybe it was two or three years ago now. Like I can't quite remember, but he was still ripping at you know eight probably you know fifty mid fifties. I'm not really sure what you know how old he is, but in his fifties, I know that much. Yeah, he's he's he was flying and it's just uh, super impressive and super awesome. He's such a legend, you know, to to him to still be out there, was still out there and still ripping. Uh yeah, it's crazy. I've reached out to him and I got a couple messages back, but no interest in sitting down and talking with me. That's unfortunate because I figured he would be. Uh, I, I he's always a good guy and maybe because it's a. Uh, Maybe because his last hurrah was not one to be mem- one of the member memories of this thing or not. But I think for some of the older guys, they don't understand what we're doing. Yep. And um, I'll have to call. 
Yeah, ah, cool. so get on there. Get on you there. It'd be good for you. You need to tell enjoy your dad. It. You need to tell your dad to hit me up too. I will. I will. I and I know Rodney would enjoy it because he was always that guy that would love to bench race. Um, when we were just when I was growing up when I was a kid, and he'd always like to talk crap. You know, he was always that guy. He's always a really good, funny dude. So, like, uh, yeah, I have to, I have to mention that to him and, and say, Leonard, did, Leonard, wanted to get on that podcast and be like, I don't want to get on there. I was like, well, you need to get on there. Like, you need to get on there because you'd enjoy it. Because I know he would. I mean, I just know it. I had a live event here out here in August. And uh, when I was doing the promotions for it on social media, Dean Sundahl hit me up and said, I'd like to come. And I was just like, well, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) And I got to talking with him because he had turned down being on the podcast when I had asked him through social media. But then we got to talking and, and we're going to set up a, a time when him and I can sit down with no distractions and in a quiet environment, because he's a very soft spoken man Yep. and uh, doesn't, he's still pretty private for all the things that he does. So we want to sit down and have a nice conversation with him. And, you know, I, I'm so blessed because there's so many legends I get to talk to so many like you, great guys that just, your guys are phenomenal. And it's awesome. That. Yeah. It, thank you. Thank you for that. And, well, uh, you got to figure, put, I am a huge fan. I, oh, I, I live this stuff and, and I've got to be, I've got to do things that, that I could tell you stories for days. Yep. Oh yeah. But being a fan of, of the racing and being a fan of just the sport and getting to watch you guys, you know, and I mean, I, I've tentatively been watching your career for the last four or five years, maybe more. And yeah. I appreciate you know, that. So it, it, it's a lot of fun for me. I don't get to focus on it as much as I'd like to, but my job and the things that I do, you know, being a race mechanic for all those years and traveling, you only get bits and pieces, you know? Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'd hope to, yeah, like I said, I hope to get, get Rodney on here. I mean, I would like to give him a shout out and say, Hey, I mean, you need to get on there and Leonard wants to talk to you. Cause he's uh he'd be, he'd be like Gary. I mean, Gary's a really cool dude. I, I actually, Obviously, when you um, messaged me, I started listening to some of these more. Like, I, I obviously always want to listen to Gary talk. He's the legend of the sport. I mean, eight-time in a row champ. I mean, who who can, who can hasn't even compared to that? You know, I mean, I, Chad has obviously had eight-time now. But um, at the time, it's just, you know, it's crazy. You never would have thought anybody would even come close to getting that many championships again. But, uh, you know, Gary, and I hear him on the Digging Deep podcasts. Um, prior to this because I've been on there as well um, like just hearing him talk and mention my name and um, just obviously I don't know just doesn't know who I was and I was like man that's freaking cool you know like I never even met the guy and he's talking about me on the internet and <laughs> saying how I'm fast and all this I'm like dude I, that's the that's the most you know bad you know what thing ever and uh and then I listened to his podcast on here and then on you know the ATV talk podcast. And I listened to the chat in his podcast and I thoroughly enjoyed those, you know, just sitting down and we're not talking like, um, like uh, I'm just, you're just some random person. It's sitting down and talking seriously about our passion and the sport and uh, you know, having good laughs and enjoying the conversation and not just uh, you know talking business to straightly, strictly being straight up. You want to obviously, get the inside scoop about the whole thing. And that was what uh, I really enjoyed about that with him and Chad and stuff. So 
I never want to be accused of giving an interview. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not an interview. We're sitting here, we're, we're bench racing, man. And that's what I love more than anything. Having a conversation, dude, because yeah. I love the sport. Jeffrey, I want to extend, like I do a lot of people, an invitation for you to come back uh, on ATV Talk. Um, I want you to keep in touch with me. So if there's any new events in your life or in your racing career that we need to talk about, you just hit me up and we will get you back on and have you uh, tell us all about it. And I know that we only touch the surface of your racing career. So there's always more to talk about. There's seasons that you want to talk about. There's specific races that we could break down. Um, so, uh, Make sure you pencil out some time for us in the future. Uh, I am always busy. I'm always taping, but I'm always taking information and, and setting dates for people. So um, think about that. Make sure you have Rodney check, check in with me and your dad, please. I will for sure. And yeah, of course, like that's where uh, our bench racing side of things come in. I just I ramble off about some things that get off task or um, but like you said, there is no task. So um, to, to, uh, come on here and talk like this. It's, uh, it's always enjoyable. And man, like I said, we can sit here for, I can sit here for another five, six hours and talk about just anything. So that's why I would, I would definitely love to come back on and, and, uh, man, I would do this all the time. You know, I enjoy this and, uh, yeah, I'd love to be back and I'll let you know. And, um, I have some time it might be sooner than what people want to hear me again, but, uh, no, problem. no problem. Um, I'll definitely be back on here, man. I really enjoyed it and, um, look forward to the next episode that we get on here and, and do it all over again. Thank you very much. And thank you, man. Very much. The team here at ATV talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATV talk podcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. More than 33 years in the industry building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.